Hey, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> uh, if you're new, uh, I'm Matt. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Brandywine, and we're in a series called uh, Resilient, which is all about becoming more uh, emotionally healthy people. And I want to uh, talk today about, specifically about how to uh, love those that I disagree with. <laughs> Uh, anyone ever have any disagreements or conflict with anybody? Yeah, I mean, we all do. And, and, uh, and I think one of the greatest sources of tension in our life is uh, conflict in our relationships, unresolved conflict in our relationships. All of us deal with that. You know, whether it's a, uh, a disagreement with my spouse or with my teenager, or um, you know, maybe one of my adult children is making a choice that I don't agree with. Maybe it's a, uh, a rift with one of my siblings. You know, it could be a disagreement over politics. I could feel hurt by another Christian for one reason or another. Uh, maybe you feel you're being treated unfairly at, at work. Uh, by your by your boss, you know maybe it's a maybe it's even a family member or a coworker that is really antagonistic uh, towards your faith. You know Jesus in you, and there's just there's just there's uh, a little bit of conflict there. You feel attacked even for that. So how can I become more emotionally healthy so that I can love people better in the midst? of conflict. And this is a really big discipleship issue because all of us, I know it's true for me, all, all of us have learned patterns of dealing with conflict, right? From our family, not to mention just the sin nature that is inside of us, that in the midst of conflict, we do all sorts of things. You know, we, we hide, we don't, we don't say what we really feel, we run, we withdraw, we become defensive, we blame. I mean, this is just things we all do, whether it's patterns that we learned or whether it's just, you know, sin in us. And so this is really something as a disciple of Jesus where we have to learn, as the Apostle Paul says, to put off old ways of doing things and to put on the new way of the Spirit, to, to put on a new, a new way. We may have learned certain patterns in our family of origin, but now we are in a new family, the family of God, in which we need to learn to do things differently, to put off the old and to put on the new. And so actually conflict is a way for us to grow, uh, to learn how to love people differently in the new way of the Spirit. And, and I think, too, to grow in deeper relationships. Conflict is actually a tunnel to have deeper relationships with people. It allows us to do that. So what I want to do is I want to share three principles from the Bible on how to grow in love towards those that I disagree with. As Christians, we know we want to grow as to be more loving people because God is love. You know, the primary commandments are to love God and love neighbor. We know these things. We know we want to become more loving people. But it's one thing to know conceptually I want to love people better. And it's another to like know how to actually do it. And so I think these three principles are things that we can actually put into practice 
tomorrow morning. We can act, if we, if we will think on these things, we can actually, in a real way, become more loving people, especially in situations where there's conflict, where maybe that's the greatest challenge to love, right, is, is, is in the midst of conflict. So that's why I wanna share these three biblical principles. Um, and here's the first one, that to love inside of a conflict is gonna require me, the Bible says, to listen well, okay, to listen well. This is exactly what James is getting at in his letter, James chapter one, verse 19, he's talking about conflict and he says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. This, uh, you know, it's, it's been said that God gave us uh, two ears and one mouth for a reason, that we should listen twice as much as we, as, as, as we speak. And what I have come to see, I don't think I always saw this, I'm sure I didn't always see this, is that uh, listening is actually a way to demonstrate love to somebody. I don't think I had completely made that connection that when I really listen well to people, which is hard to do, but to really listen well to people, especially in a conflict, uh, is what that's doing is it's saying, I, I care about you, I am interested in you, I want, to, I want to understand you, I want to hear you, your feelings matter, your viewpoint matters. And so good listening communicates all of those things, and so it's a, it's a loving action when we do it well. And, and good listening requires a certain amount of humility on our part that is actually willing to learn from another person. And it doesn't mean that we agree with everything the other person is saying or doing, but if there's a certain amount of humility in listening that says, I wanna learn something from you that I don't know right now. Um, and that's the essence of, of dialogue between two people, if you think about it, because if we don't have the humility to learn from somebody, even if we disagree with them, then all it is is two monologues going on, right? Monologue, 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 you know, people just talking past each other. There's not actually any dialogue happening without that humility. And so, and so listening is a way to demonstrate that and, and to actually love people. And so, what does it look like to, to become a good listener? I mean, James tells us to be quick to listen to other people, be slow to speak, but how do I actually become a better listener? I've found that to be a challenge, and these are just four things they help me. If they help you, fantastic. But, um, but four things that just help me to think about being a better listener, and uh, it, one I'm just gonna call the word posture, but, but what that means to me is simply that, man, I'm looking at the person that I'm talking to and I'm not being distracted because, you know, what I tend to do with my wife or, or you know, if I'm busy with something, I'm, you know, is that I'm shuffling through my papers and I'm sort of half listening and half not, or I'm, you know, we're, we're checking a text that, or a message that just came on our phone or another person walks by and we're, you know, th to me this is about practicing the presence of people, that when I'm talking to you, 
that I, I, what I, I'm trying to remind myself is that I'm focused completely on you, right in the eye, and I am listening to you wholeheartedly with everything I have. And this is hard to do sometimes, really hard to do, and that's why it's such a gift when we do it for people. It's almost like, you know, we talk about practicing the presence of God and listening is a way also to practice the presence of people. I'm fully present with you because your thoughts matter to me and you matter to me. And so I'm, I'm gonna give you my full attention. And I think that communicates love when we're able to do it really well. The, the second thing that sort of helps me, the first was that posture, that posture of listening. The other, it's just what I'm gonna call perception, which what that means to me is that I, I'm not just listening to your words, but the feelings behind the words, which sometimes communicate more, right? I, I'm, I'm listening not just to what you're saying, but to what you're feeling. And even if I don't agree with everything that you're saying necessarily, I hear your heart. And I hear the emotion behind the heart, and, and, and I wanna know why that you feel the way that you feel. Um, so posture, perception, uh, the other word that helps me is just the word patience. Um, listening takes patience, <laughs> doesn't it? And, and this is the slow to speak part that James is talking about, quick to listen, slow to speak. So, so it's almost like I have to tell myself, okay, you don't need to jump in. Um, like just be patient and like ask a question. You know, like, like, a, like uh, you know, tell me more. <laughs> or just ask a, a clarifying question about what they said. Like, draw out more before um, jumping in. And then the fourth one, so, you know, posture, perception, patience. The fourth one for me is paraphrase. So this is where it's like, okay, so what I hear you saying is, <laughs> and like summarize the best you can what you hear that person saying, which then gives them the permission to say, like, no, that's not at all what I'm saying. You totally misread me, right? And so then they can uh, correct my impression of what I thought they said. Or they could say, yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good summary of what I'm trying to say, right? And so those are just, here's what encourages me about that, is that uh, uh, it's exciting because listening is actually a skill I can learn. Like I can actually become a better listener with those things. And when I become a better listener, then I am, I, I am learning to love people better in a really practical way that like I can do today, I can do tomorrow, I can do that. Listening's really important in a conflict, obviously, but it's also a great way just to uh, become a more loving person in general just to be a better listener. That's exactly what James tells us to do. <laughs> Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So, so that's the first principle on how to love people well in a conflict is just to be a better listener. Here's the second uh, principle. Uh, number two is uh, to speak honestly and yet lovingly. To speak honestly and yet lovingly. So here's what Ephesians 4.15 says. It says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, 
who is the head of his body, the church. So this verse begins with instead because it's, it's, it, Paul is contrasting speaking the truth in love with something that came before this verse, which was he was talking about the trickery and the deceitfulness, the cunning, he called it, of some false teachers who they didn't, they were, they were, all, they were manipulating people with their words, okay? They were using cunner, uh, cunning and deceitfulness to manipulate people, and their motive was not really love. Their, their motive was sort of their own agenda, their own purpose. And so Paul is saying, Instead of that, people not really speaking truthfully <laughs> and not having a mode of love, you're to operate in a new way, speaking the truth in love. That, that ought to characterize God's people. And when we do speak the truth in love, individually we're going to grow up into the image of Christ and collectively as a church body we're going to grow up into the image of Christ. And this isn't just true in the teaching ministry of the church, so we ought to be people who speak the truth in love, but it's also true in our interpersonal relationships that growth happens when we speak the truth in love. You know, that no longer, we may used to have operated this way, but no longer. We no longer say one thing while we're thinking another. We don't do that anymore. Um, we don't deceive people. We don't try to manipulate people. We just, we're, we're, there's a sincerity as Christians that we now need to operate in, in the new way of the Spirit. Um, there's, there's a new and refreshing transparency that comes. There is now integrity to our words that ought to characterize us. So let me just ask, because I think this is something personality-wise or that we sort of learn, is that how good am I at speaking honestly when I feel upset inside? How good am I at that? Because when, when I don't speak with transparency and honesty out of fear of conflict, okay, then uh, we are actually being a false peacemaker. This took me a long time to realize that that's actually being a false peacemaker. Because I thought by smoothing things over all the time <laughs> that I was being a peacemaker, when in fact that's not true at all. So like for instance, if I'm upset at my spouse about something, but I don't say anything. Instead, I'm just passive aggressive and give them the cold shoulder. That's being a false peacemaker, you know, not a true peacemaker. If uh, we're at the lunch table and they're gossiping, you know, about a person, uh, and I don't say anything because uh, I don't want to really rock the boat. I don't want people to, you know, you know, think that I'm, you know, better, better than others or whatever. And I don't say anything. It's being, it bothers me, but I don't say anything. Then I'm being a false peacemaker. If I'm in a serious dating relationship, I'm engaged. I know there's red flags in the relationship. But I, oh, I know he's been through so much hardship in his life and I don't want to be another disappointment. I don't want to make his family upset. I don't want to make my family upset. And so you just stuff 
those feelings, that's, that's being a false peacemaker, not a true peacemaker. You know, your parents uh, are, or maybe your in-laws are really, are really critical of how you parent and you dread going to their home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but you never say anything. It's being a false peacemaker. I am the typical middle child. I have the middle child syndrome where I'm always wanting everyone just to get along and to be at peace. And, and that causes false peacemaking to occur. It's not, it's not being honest. This verse, though, says to not only speak honestly, but it also says, it says, speak the truth in love, to speak the truth in love. How many know truth can be used as a weapon <laughs> against people, right? I just unloaded some truth on that brother right now, you know. I just, mm, I just got him, you know. And uh, so that's like an important part of the verse there. Is my motive is my motive in saying something to hurt somebody or, or, or to heal somebody? Is it to lovingly resolve or is it just to, to make a point and unload, you know, on that, on that person? I, just from a practical skill standpoint, becoming more loving in this, I think one thing that's helpful to keep in mind is, um, because we can all feel this, is when we are when we are speaking honestly about our feelings, our thoughts about something, is that I don't blame and accuse the other person, right? When we say, hey, you always do this, you never do this, you are such, you know, you're this, you're that, um, and like nobody responds good to that, right? I mean, when someone, when someone's doing that to you, you feel so defensive in the moment. And even if there's truth behind what they're saying, you can't receive it. Because in your mind, you're like, I don't always do that. I don't never do that. You know, what you just called me, like, that's not, like, that's not fair what you're saying. And so any truth cannot be received in that moment. Relationship experts, you know, will talk about this idea of, um, and I think it's helpful in this context, is to not use like a lot of you statements you this, you that, you always, you never, to avoid a you statement and just say how you feel and how their actions are impacting you. This is how I feel, this is how it's impacting me. You're just talking from your perspective how you feel and how it's impacting you and you're not accusing and blaming. And I think that's really good advice when we just think about how to speak the truth but how to do it in love. And I know that I'm getting more emotionally healthy when I can speak what's true without being afraid to speak what's true. I can speak my beliefs, I can speak my feelings without making you my enemy. And that takes an emotionally healthy person to do that, but God wants to grow us up into that. Uh, so speak the truth in love. Listen well, speak the truth in love. One last principle. <laughs> Uh, for, for loving people in the midst of conflict. And number three is to eliminate sinful judging, because not all judging is sinful. We'll talk about that here in a second. But to eliminate sinful judging, because there is a type of judging that is sinful. It's unrighteous. It isn't right. And I need to eliminate that if I'm going to have 
healthy relationships, especially relationships where I'm in conflict with somebody. See, there's, here's what I am learning, is that there are two er errors we can make when it comes to understanding judging. Uh, one is, is to think that to not judge, you know, this is the one verse all non-Christians know, do not judge, okay? <laughs> one error we make though is to think that to not judge means we can't discern good from bad and right from wrong. No, we, we do need to discern right from wrong and good from bad. Or we think to judge means you just accept everything and you never speak what's true. Uh, that, that, that is a false interpretation of what it means to not judge. But the other error is that we do develop a judgmental spirit and we're not even aware of it. We're not even aware that we have a judgmental spirit. So I really wanted to know the difference. What, what's the difference between discernment of right and wrong, okay, and speaking what's true, and, and unrighteous judgment? Like, what's the difference? I really wanted to make sure that was firm in my own mind and heart so I can avoid wrong judgment. So here is, here's what I found <laughs> as I looked at that this week, and I'm totally under conviction about these things, the more that I looked at it, is these are six ways that we judge wrongly, okay? And uh, these are things that we need to repent of, just to use an old-time word. <laughs> these are things we need to repent of. Um, see if you can relate to any of these. One type of wrong judgment the Bible talks about uh, is, is we'll call it superficial judging. Superficial judging. So James gives an example of superficial judging in uh, James chapter two, verse four, because he was calling out the church because wealthy people were coming into the church with nice clothes and all of that, and they were like rushing to give them the best seat in the, in the house. And then the, uh, just the, uh, then a poor person would come in and they'd be like, hey, you can sit in the back in the balcony. And, he's, and, and he just lays into them and he says, what, what is this that you're doing? You, you are making improper judgments in your mind about people. You know, you know, we say don't judge the book by the cover. They were judging people just on external things or superficial things. Right? And this is what causes people to say sometimes, hey, man, you don't even know me. What are you judging me? You don't even know me. You don't know my heart. And you're just, you're judging me just based on external things. And you know what? They're right. <laughs> that is a wrong type of judgment that we make. Just how somebody looks and we make a snap judgment about it when we don't even know their heart. It's unrighteous judging. We should repent of it. Another type of wrong judging, Jesus calls this one out. Uh, we'll call it self-righteous judging or uh, hypocritical judging. Remember when uh, you know, Jesus gave the illustration, we all remember, <laughs> when he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you got the board in your own eye? He's calling out this self-righteous judging, this hypocritical judging. 
Like when we bring an attitude of superiority to somebody, and yet we are blind to our own issues, right? <laughs> we're morally superior to someone else, calling them out, but we're blind to our own issues. A lot of times we do it because this type of judging just makes us feel better about ourselves, right? If I can drag someone else down, make them look bad, I just feel better about myself. But it's sin. It's sinful judging to do it. And in a conflict, one of the ways we can avoid, I believe, this type of self-righteous judging, because sometimes we do have to speak truth to one another, but the way that we can avoid self-righteous judging is that we are careful to acknowledge our own sin and our own part in the conflict. And so if we will do that, in other words, if we're seeing the board in our own eye, and we acknowledge it and we say it, that allows us to avoid this trap of self-righteous judging. All right, here's a third way we can judge wrongly, and we'll call it um, assumptive judging, assumptive judging. So this is when I make assumptions about your motive. I make assumptions about what you're thinking when in fact, I don't know your motive, and I don't know what you're thinking, but I conjure up in my mind what I think your motive is and what you're thinking, and that's what I judge. But that is making an assumption that's probably not an accurate assumption. I'm probably assuming uh, the worst. And so in a conflict, we can easily do that to people assume we know their motive and their thoughts. And so I think one way to avoid this trap of assumptive judging is that we ask them <laughs> what their thoughts are. We ask them what their motive is rather than assuming that we know what it is. And that makes a big difference. Hey, what were you thinking on this? Or, you know, you did this and I'm making an assumption on why you did it, but rather than making that assumption, I'm just gonna ask you why you did it. <laughs> so assumptive judging is a wrong way to judge. Here's a fourth way we can judge wrongly. Um, and we'll call it uh, judging over disputable matters in the church, okay? So here's an example of this. And th uh, this is in Romans chapter 14, okay? And in that church, in the church at Rome, and this is what Paul's gonna call out, is there were differences among church members on certain things. So some of them uh, were much more conscious about not eating food sacrificed to idols, because in their conscience, it was wrong to do that. Like they felt like they were participating in the idol worship if they ate something they bought from the meat market that had been sacrificed to an idol. So they were really, it, that just, in their conscience, it was wrong, they didn't wanna do it or they celebrated certain Old Testament feast days while the other, while the Gentile believers, that wasn't part of their tradition. That wasn't anything that they had done before. And so what was happening is these parties were judging each other, right? Those who maybe didn't care about where the meat came from as long as they bought it in the meat market, or those who didn't care about certain days, they would look down on the ones who had more scruples about that and say, well, you know, you need to be more progressive and enlightened like we are. And actually they weren't wrong. 
but they were judging their brother who had scruples about it. And the one who had scruples were judging those who didn't have scruples, saying, you're not, you know, you, you know you're not as pious as we are in, in, in obeying all of these things. And so there was this judging one of another, and Paul's calling out that judging. Uh, and and, and uh, he says, you know, you, you, should not, you should not do that. And that on these matters that Scripture doesn't speak to, be gracious to one another rather than judging one another. And even today, we judge other Christians on all sorts of disputable matters, right? I mean, we could probably come up with a long list. Your worship style, I'm gonna judge that. Your preaching style, I'm gonna judge that. What Bible translation you prefer to use, I'm gonna judge that. Whether you homeschool or public school, I'm gonna, you know, we could come up with an endless list on things Christians want to judge each other about. And we should be able to talk about all these things. Why do you do, you know, we can learn from, why do you do what you do? Why do you think the way you think? The problem is when we judge one another. Paul called it out in Romans 14, and it's not right in today's church either that we do that. When we judge each other on disputable matters, we're always gonna have conflicts and, and poor relationships uh, one with another when we do it. All right, here's a fifth way that we can judge wrongly, and we'll call it uh, demeaning judging, okay? James, in in his letter, but in chapter four, uh, verses 11 and 12, he, he calls this speaking against your brother. And he says it's improper judging when you speak against your brother. And I, the context here, and usually when we speak against one another in a wrong way, it's usually to a third party. And I think that's what he's calling out in James chapter four. When you speak against your brother to a third party, usually because we don't have the guts to speak directly, to somebody, but we speak in a derogatory way about another person to, uh, to, to somebody. Um, you know, I mean, just when we, we, and we do this all the time, don't we? Even when we're, you know, we're like, man, they're such a bozo, they're, they're so clueless, or, you know, you're calling out, you know, man, corporate headquarters, they don't know their rear end from their, what, you know, whatever, and we just, we, uh, you know, she's, you know, she's not a, a good mother. He's not a good, you know, that church over there is messed up. You know, we just, we're just, we speak in derogatory ways about other uh, people. And James says that that is sinful judging when we do it. One last one, one last one. Uh, is refusing to associate with unbelievers. Uh, improper judging of unbelievers. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul calls out this tendency that we have. The situation in 1 Corinthians 5 is that there was really serious immorality going on in the church at Corinth. And Paul is just appalled that they are letting this happen inside the family of God. And he says, you guys need to get on time. You need to call that out and you need to not have fellowship with that brother who's doing that and who's not being repentant about it. 
Like, you need to not have fellowship with him. What are you doing? You know, he really calls them out. Uh, but he clarifies, because they had misunderstood from an earlier statement he'd made, he clarifies that he doesn't mean they're supposed to not associate with unbelievers in this way, okay? And he says, he says there, he says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church that we are to judge, right? He's saying, you should be sensitive to sin, inside of the church among God's people. You should be. But, but at the same time, but he's saying, I'm not, don't apply that principle to unbelievers. They don't know any better. Uh, and if you were to apply that principle to unbelievers, you couldn't ever associate or work in the world or be a witness to people. He says, no, you need to associate uh, uh, with, with people. Uh, sometimes we are shocked by the worldview and behaviors of those who don't know God. But we should not expect non-Christians to act like Christians and be afraid to associate with them because how else are they going to know God, <laughs> right? And so we may have a tendency because of a certain shock level um, that we become isolationists or kind of standoffish or we become kind of judgy towards people who don't know God yet. Uh, and we, sh we should not do that because the only way they can know God is when we rub shoulders and associate and love people just for who they are, even if they're doing things that are crazy, that, that we as believers communicate their value as human beings and we care about them. But when we get judgy, with them, even though they don't know any better necessarily, then that's something that's improper uh, that Paul's bringing out in 1 Corinthians 5. So I look at this list this week, I'm making this list up this week, and I'm like, I totally do all of these things all of the time, all of the time. And uh, it, said, it was convicting with me, and, the, and the, the word that the Holy Spirit kept bringing, man, was like, like, um, repent of these things and your relationships will be better. And, <clears throat> and that's not to say, you know, when, when, if we, when we begin operating in the new way of the spirit and we do, listen, we do become better listeners to people we disagree with, we do speak the truth, but we do it in love, we, we avoid unrighteous judging, even when we do all those things, there are still some relationships that are never going to be right. They're, they're, they're never going to heal. Um, and we need to acknowledge that, right? The Bible acknowledges that. It, in fact, it says in Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, live at peace, okay? So in other words, it doesn't, you can do all these things and there still may not be peace in a certain relationship because it's going to take two good-willed people coming together in this way in order for that uh, to happen. But I think part of emotional health is to be able to say, my conscience is clear. I have done what the Lord requires of me here, and I have, d I have done all that I can do to live at peace. And even if that relationship is not going to work or be totally healed, I can be at peace with that. I can accept it for what it is. In fact, there will even be some who hate you 
just because Jesus is in you. Uh, and how do, what do we do there? <laughs> um, but what the Bible tells us is that we must return blessing for insult. We must return prayers for slander. We must return goodwill uh, for hate. And the gospel will never shine more brightly than when we do that. <laughs> um, but, I, but I believe also God is calling us as God's people to repent this morning of ways in which we have not listened well, we've not spoken the truth in love, where we have judged unrighteously. And as we do that, God is in that. There's going to be a new sweetness that is going to come. There's going to be a renewal of our spirit, and there's going to be a renewal of our emotions as we walk inside of that. So allow me to just offer a prayer uh, for all of us <laughs> and that we would receive that uh, into our spirit today. If you would pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful church. Uh, we thank you for the word of God which is sharp as a double-edged sword to us, piercing through bone and marrow for our good and for our health and for our growth. And so we receive the word of God tenderly into our spirit today. Lord, have mercy on me where I have not loved well where I have had unhealthy ways of relating that are deeply embedded in me. And so, Lord, deliver me from that. Help me put off old ways and to put on new ways. Deliver me from false peacemaking. Deliver me from failing to truly listen. Deliver me from having a judgmental spirit. Lord, I confess where I have been self-righteous and hypocritical, where I have been fault-finding in others, where I have judged their motives, where I have judged superficially, where I have spoken against brothers and sisters in Christ in an improper way, where my tongue has hurt rather than healed. Lord, I repent of these sins and I turn from them and I ask that you would renew me and fill me with the Holy Spirit in that you would grow me in this area of my life. I receive you into my heart today. I receive you. Some of us you're receiving Jesus even for the first time today. You are the savior of the world. You are Lord of all. I see my sin. I have held you, God, at arm's length. I have been in rebellion against your ways. 
and I know that I cannot heal myself. That can only come through Christ, our Savior. And so I receive that. I receive your forgiveness today, and I ask for a new heart. And you are giving it to me in accordance with the promise of your word that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that you're bringing a new sweetness of the Spirit into our lives today, and we receive it. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Hey, if you do have questions or need someone to pray with you about receiving the Lord, uh, just go to our yes table back here in this corner, right back here. There's someone there to help you and to pray with you. And I'll just mention too, if you need prayer for any reason, any reason at all, um, you can just make your way down front after the service today and we would just be happy um, to pray for you, whatever you have on your mind or your heart. Let's stand together and we'll go out with a song.